Well, hello and welcome to The Cool Room, episode 141. I'm your host, David Griffiths. I'll shortly be joined by my very good friend, Warren Wu, and then Joshua from Black Arts, and we've got a great chat with him coming up. Uh, all sorts of insights into his uh, fantastic beers, the techniques that uh, go to make them, and his journey through the world of craft beer uh, here in Melbourne. Uh, it's a ripper conversation. I hope you'll stick around and listen to all of it. And hopefully, in the not too far distant future, we might even be able to organise a cool room trip out to the venue. Uh, it's opened up very rarely, as you'll hear, but we might be able to do some deals and see if we can sit down out there with Josh himself one day and, uh, and enjoy some of his great beers. Uh, before we get into all of that, can I encourage you, if you'd like to support the podcast, to head on over to our Shopify. Just Google Cool Room Shopify and you'll be able to go there, pick up the beers for this episode so that you can sip the beers that we're talking about. Trust me, they're delicious, uh, but also have a look around the rest of the shop. Grab yourself an August pack for some of the uh, online sessions that we've got coming up in August. Uh, we've done plenty of work behind the scenes so that now you can not just buy tasting packs from some of the previous podcasts, but the individual beers from them as well. So if you've uh, already had some of them and you know the ones you want, you can now buy them individually. Or if you know that you're a sour fan but not a stout fan, let's say, you can go back and buy just the ones you want from some fantastic breweries from around the world. And then you can listen to the podcasts about them and learn all about their stories. Okie dokie, without any further ado, let's get over to the Cool Room Zoom Room and start our conversation with Joshua from Black Arts. Mr Wu, how are you? Uh, very good, David Griffiths. Yeah, really good. Um, you know, it was a funny old wet day in Melbourne, the first one we've had in first really proper winter kind of, we've been that winter stretch, which is nice. Uh, it sounds like Queensland and New South Wales have been stealing all the, the rain recently, so it's good that we got a nice shower. Um, otherwise good though, you know, and it's just um, this kind of Melbourne winter time of year where you don't do much. Well, can um, I say it was lovely down in Frankston and Seaford today where I was. It was so oh, really? cold and miserable in Flemington, but where I was, it was lovely. And, and our Seafordians, of whom we've got a couple in the room, are, are happily nodding there just to rub it in to the rest of us that are more Western suburbs based. Yeah. Uh, assholes. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cope. I, I think we'll cope. Well, there, um, there we've just lost a couple of customers, but well done, Mr. Boo. That'll, that'll mean less deliveries for me at that part of the world. Um. Yeah, and no, like so. Next week, I'm escaping off to Queensland, so that should be really good. So, um, Palm Cove for a week. So, our next our our next guest, who I've completely forgotten. I think it's prancing. That will be prancing pony. I think followed yeah. by Noodle Doof the week uh, on the Sunday oh, yeah. after that. Yeah. So I'll be up there. I'll be up there for that one, which will be fun. I wonder what it's like to stick cans in carry on. I'm not sure how they'll work. We'll find out. The real question, I think, with Qantas, and uh, apologies <laughs> yeah. to Qantas if they were thinking of sponsoring us, but let's just hope that the baggage handlers get that beer to you when you, are, when you get off in a reasonable time. Yeah, um, I feel like we've already taken up enough time of our <laughs> guest, Joshua, just listening to us bantering away. Mr. Wu, do you want to get us underway tonight and um, start our conversation with Joshua? Uh, from Blackouts, we're going to learn all of the fun things. I I love and and I'll I'll do I'll do Blackheart's 
the justice of giving them their full name, the Black Hearts Brewers and Blenders, which I really love. Black Hearts Brewers and Blenders, uh, great alliteration and excellent name. Um, hello, Josh, how are you? Oh, Josh. Yeah, good, good. It, it doesn't really matter either way. Awesome. <laughs> um, great. So what we normally do, okay, so... Tonight, unfortunately, uh, Chelsea has some some family matters, and and uh, yeah, we all understand. We all completely understand that. But that, but given she's your partner in crime, we should probably include her in the introductions, and we normally do. This gives you a good chance to really tee off and let us know exactly what <laughs> she's like. So, if you'd like to. Let's start by having you introduce the guest that the guest that unfortunately couldn't make it. Just give us a quick introduction of her and uh, her favorite beer. Yeah, this could this could get this go. It, yeah, we're hoping never going to listen. Is that, is that the theory um, we're going with here? And then and then a little introduction about more uh, just as importantly yourself. Um, that would be awesome. Sweet. So Chelsea is the other half of Black Arts, who is my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, it's pretty much since Black Art started, has been supporting me and like keeping this habit going and growing. And now it's uh, definitely getting pretty, pretty big. And yeah, she started, she's a copywriter, a little bit of marketing in her background. So um, she kind of came on board or was forced on board when I woke up one night from a nightmare that our labels looked crap. So <laughs> I was like, I need your help. And yeah, so she kind of simplified everything and then put together the idea and that's kind of her involvement and then has moved into everything as social media and marketing and branding. She's got a good eye for it because she picked up on the fact that I'd put uh, a social media post up with the wrong month in it, which was clearly beyond my brain to figure that out. So uh, That was was me. I got that one. Oh, there you you go. I was trying to throw out some compliments, but there you go. We'll we'll give you that one, but... Well done. I don't even know what month I'm living in anymore. Yeah, that's all good. I kind of just had a look at it and I was like, I thought it's two days away, not another month. <laughs> yeah. And then her favorite beer. I don't It's hard at the moment. She, we've just, we've got a nine week old now, so she is not drinking that much other than like little tasters. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a weird one that she's vegetarian as well. So a weird one that she's been drinking lately is I got the full selection of Schlenkler. So mm. like smoky and meaty and delicious and just caramelly. And yet she really loves that one. So straight Martzen probably, but I gave her the Doppelbock last night and she was like, this is Stella. Ah, there we go. Excellent. Yeah just, yeah, just watch this space for Schlenkler news as well, but let's not get ahead of ourselves on, on that front, everyone. Such a quirky, weird beer that no one really makes, and everyone's like, I don't like smoky beers, pretty much, and mm. it's delicious. It's fantastic. Yeah. really yeah. is. I totally agree. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, meaty and smoky and, and caramelly and fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But doesn't get much of a Guernsey. Completely no. right. Um, how about you, Joshua? Give us the rundown. Let's start with your favourite beer. I like yeah. that. I've got one here. Oh, yeah. The, the, cl- the classic. Like most Cezanne de Pont, yeah. Yeah, would love a Cezanne de Pont. Um, yeah, that's kind of everything. If I had to drink one beer the rest of my life, I think that one would tick the box. Like, it's just mm-hmm. so delicious. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, I, I drink a lot of beers and I like a lot of beers. Ghosts, uh, lots of pale ales, basically anything I get my hands on and trying things. And like, if I just drink my style of beer, then you kind of pigeonhole yourself a little bit. And it's always good to get your taste buds around all different beers and different wines and ciders and exactly. spirits. Um, <clears throat> that's that, yeah, totally, completely understand. And how did you, so, so this sounds like, you drove the 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 early part of, of black arts um yeah how did how how did you get to there how what 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 was the the yeah how did it all begin I how did it all begin um years ago i had, was in pasta manufacturing and we had a restaurant fox in the corn oh. and i homebrewed at the same time and yeah. i was going down the world of different beers and my local bottle shop down in Williamstown is amazing. Like they had selections of like Cantillon and Driftfontaine and all sorts, like he got me in a Schlenkler and a whole bunch of beers that were outside the norm. Um, and so I could just go in there and be like, just give me something amazing. And I'd always walk away with something really cool. And I was a bit confused at why that wasn't out there in the world when there's all these craft breweries, but there's not many like diversity in, in styles. So at Fox, we decided to open with like eight taps of beer. And mm. then I think we had 480 bottles of beer at the height. Um, and yeah, I could, I could recommend Schlenkler or Saison de Pont. So many crafty nerds have never had Saison de Pont when they're like, no, I yeah. love IPAs and love pale ales. And you mentioned that and they're like, what? Yeah. So, what? yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That blows me away that Saison de Pont is not consumed as much as it should be. Or as, as well, I have to say that so much of it that is consumed has been sitting on a shelf for so, so long uh, yeah. that it really has gone past its, its best bit. I think that's part of the, the problem that in Melbourne and Australia that, you know, so much of it just sits on the shelf and no one ever actually makes a decision about when it stopped being at, at its peak. Yeah. Um, James, who is in the chat and good friend of the podcast, has just mentioned that he used to go into Fox and Corn uh, back in the day. Um, and yeah, I, I, I recall I went there a couple of times too, and it itself had a pretty good selection of beer, if I, if I'm um, not mistaken. Yeah, one of the first little restaurant, yeah, one of the first kind of restaurant concept which really embraced beer in a really meaningful way, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to do. And it was just to showcase beers to people. So people could come in and try all sorts of beers and I'd give them tasters off the taps and then go in and recommend a bottle if I didn't have something on tap that was mm. like suiting their palate. And talking to lots of females about drinking and showing them that it's just not CUB and bitterness that... There is a, like, I can get you a beer that tastes like a cider or like a rum or like a whiskey or there's so many different beers. Like we yep. make a beer that's 50-50 wine. A winemaker can't add 49% beer to their wine and call it a Shiraz. <laughs> they don't have that scope. Whereas yeah. a brewer, we've got so much scope. Yeah, that's very true. That's absolutely true. Um, when did this, when did this, um, oh no, let's, Let's give give the 
let's move on to the the brewery itself and um Let's give, uh, particularly our, our international listeners, who David loves gloating about, um, a picture of... That the bloke in Norway, yeah. Yeah, the, the bloke in Norway, the guy in Japan, the one... Yeah, it's... I don't even really know what a Norwegian name is, so I'm not even sure that I can you know, a- accurately you know, describe who it is. Martin. Martin in Norway. He was, he was the rep from Nernia Ur, so let's go with him. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, tell us about tell us about the brewery and and the brew pub and where where you can sit and have a drink and try your beers in, in on site. Yeah, um, so we're down in Williamstown in Melbourne, so not too far away from the CBD, but uh-huh. for like public transport, we're pretty isolated. And yeah, we just got a small little two hundred square meter premises with lots of barrels in it and a little brew house and. We've been here now since 2019. Um, Before that, uh, we brewed and we contract brewed, I think three loads of put it in seven barrels and put that in Exit's old facility down in Seaford. So really close to, I think it's like 300 metres from where Mr. Banks now is. Um, So Chris was one of the first guys to try our beer because we just invited him around and drank some beers out um, out of the barrels. And then in 2019, we were able to get the license on this joint so we could move everything across and have it under the Black Arts banner and hopefully serve to the customers. But during our licensing, we got um, flagged that the Altona Refinery is our neighbor. So we were unable to have um, more than 15 people here. They originally said no one. Now, can you just explain again for our friend Heinrich in Norway what the Altona Refinery is, but then also a bit more about the context of that because I'm a, I'm genuinely confused as to why that would be such an important issue. Yeah, it's it's the fun of the HR department who apparently there's one man that just sits there to get be annoying. <laughs> um, so and this, is not your, this is not your HR department given you're the only man in the organisation, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's theirs. Uh, yeah, HR and safety, I think it was. Um, but basically, I what have I had now? This is the third or fourth liquor license on a venue, and so I I assume that this is my neighbors are behind me, and then on the other side, like either side of the business, and they were classified as my neighbors when it went out for public notice that we were doing a liquor license. Um, but the people across the road from me are the petrol refinery that is owned by mobile. And they said that they wanted to keep the people within a hundred meters of the fence line or the blast zone to a minimum in case one of the tanks exploded. Were you, were you aware of the fact that you were within the blast zone before that was raised as an issue? Uh, I know. So this factory I've been leasing with another business since 2010 and it had never occurred to me that we were within the blast zone until I had to file my paperwork and I was already like a year into the paperwork. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's like, do I move it or do I keep it? I would have thought blast zones were an important thing to include in most documentation relating to a property, but yeah, yeah. I thought they'd let you know. Yeah, I thought that'd be one of the things that that kind of yeah. Well, it don't it like things only get triggered if you go to council. So around like directly behind us, which is in the blast zone, there's two gyms. 
but they don't have to go <laughs> to council and get permission from their neighbors to have a gym. Mm. So people actually run up and down in front of the brewery every day. There's like 20 people and that's more than I'm allowed to have in the brewery, but they don't have to file the paperwork with council. So yeah. 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 The less said about local government, the better, which is yeah, what totally. I say in my role as a Melbourne city councillor as often <laughs> as I possibly can. But um. I'm genuinely interested about that. And I'll, I'll make further inquiries. Thank you, James, for typing that question into the chat about just how many blast zones exist in the city of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely weird. But anyway, the, this, is, this is the brewery that we're at. So there's the rest of my yeah, awesome. brewery. Now, that is fantastic for all of us who are in the Zoom room. But can you just genuinely talk us through the for people who are listening on the audio and the podcast later on? A little bit about how it looks and what it feels and is is that a a real break sort of type thing at the back there or what what talk us through what we were seeing just there um so at the back of our warehouse we've got 82 barrels that are they range from like punchins to bariks so 225 300 and 500s so i think we've got about twenty five thousand liters in oak here at the moment and then we've got an array, like heap of stainless that I've just kind of picked up secondhand around. Um, there's a couple of thousand liter conicals. There's three jacketed tanks, um, 300s and 600s. And then I've got five fruiting tanks. So right. they're the ones that are super easy to fruit. So I don't, I try not to fruit in my barrels because it's so hard to clean them. And mm. with 82 barrels, I clean in place and don't move stuff. So I don't want fruit. I use barrels as secondary conditioning spaces with mixed ferment. Um, and yeah, that's, that's basically the whole space. It's kind of just like a big garage for me to make interesting beverages of which beer has been our main lineup um, mm -hmm. from the start. But I've now got a couple of thousand liters of cider here picked from my heirloom apples that we've crushed. Um, there's a barrel of mead from honey down in the Otways. And so I collected that over the last few years and I've um, made a 300 litre batch of mead that's now three years old. Um, we've also got a little 200 litre still sitting in the corner, which is yet to be used. But the plan there is to make open fermented funky rums and play around with gins and vodkas. And um, yeah, so I'm Just interested in making things that I can't buy. How much does the blast zone for the still overlap with the blast zone for the refinery? And um, I don't know. I didn't have to lodge that with council. So, <laughs> um, wow, that's so exciting! It sounds like there's so much good stuff going on. Like there's so yeah, it just blows my mind how much fun everything sounds like you're you're doing. Is that a driver? Is like it like where David and I always talk to each other. Either we're we're making a shit a shitload of money. Or we're just having heaps of fun. Is that kind of a philosophy? Is that a thing with you guys? Do you, do you, is what you do have to be like enjoyable and fun and what and kind of beat to your core? Yeah, pretty much. Definitely on the fun side and not the making lots of money side. <laughs> my yeah, my wife still supports me and I'm not paying myself. Okay. So she is definitely amazing. Yeah. A shout out to all the wives who support their husbands in their strange uh, adventures in the world of hospitality. Yeah. Extreme um, hobbies. Yeah. Extreme, yeah, exactly. Extreme hobbies. In particular, my wife who was out delivering beer this afternoon while I was on the train back from Frankston. So, yeah, she picked my beer up too, didn't she? 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So yeah. thank you, Jen, not just for supporting me economically, but for actually doing most of the work. <laughs> <laughs> what a champion. And she's got a full-time job, like, which is really also very important. So yeah, shout out to the wives. You guys are amazing. Um, oh, let's, let's, all right. So we've got to this point and we haven't spoken about the beer. Mm. Yeah, and I've only remembered that because I'm about to finish it as per usual. Um, so, beer de coupage. Uh, yeah, Joshua, you want to run us through through this? Like, what should we be tasting? What's the idea? Where what does it even mean? Where does yeah. it all start? <clears throat> That's like the hardest bit in being a brewery is what to call your beer, whether to give it a stupid name that no one understands or whether to like just call it as like the BJCP guidelines for what that style is. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went with that because it should explain what it is. And then everyone asked what coupage is and coupage is just oak. Yeah. Like Cooper. Um, so this beer came out of the original load of beers that we had aging down in Seaford. So when you've got 4,000 liters, but you want to start a brewery and sell a bit more than a few bottles, it's like, how do I make a beer that has everything that is super old, but is also young and delightful and therefore can be packed in a like nice tight little can and make it a bit more sessionable? Because like a $25 bottle of Golden is very, um, has, has its time. You need like, mm. it's a pretty special beer to crack that you don't just drink every Thursday afternoon. <clears throat> so Bitter Coupage came out of that. And it's a mixture of young and old saison. So originally I was brewing a saison to use to blend into beer de coupage. And the five iterations that I've made have been that. But yesterday I started the next batch of beer de coupage and it's going to be the same base beer as the saison that I make. That goes into oak. All right. Yeah. So... Previously, anything like bitter coupage and berry and West Coast um, were I. I used to have to have two tanks free, and I would brew a four and a half percent saison, and then like uh, yeah, pretty much, and uh, like I overshoot and then dilute to hit target, and then I would the next day brew a five point five percent to replace in the barrel. I'd let those do their primary. I would then dry hop my lower ABV beer, the 4.5%. Mm-hmm. And then when that's finished, I could then pull out, say it was a 150 liter batch. I could pull 150 liters out of one of my golden barrels that was tasting acidic, funky, and just like the classic black arts flavors like pineapple, tropical flavors, guava, light acidity that's just beautiful on the palate, but cleansing. Yeah. And I could then blend that in with this young saison. And then I would have the second saison at 5.5 that I could then top the barrel up with and in a year's time or two years time be able to pull from again. So working as a Solera. But Hmm. that was incredibly complicated. And the whole reason I did it that way is to make this beer at 5% instead of 5.5. So after five times of doing it, I worked out what the fuck am I doing? And I'll just make it (laughs) 5.5 the same as my gold. Yeah. No. So that way I, I have a tank. My idea now is to just have a tank of this saison and whenever I need to do whatever, I can then pull from it. Now, 
I'm going to jump in before before I want to make sure that before people hopefully finish this beer off, that they keep a little bit of this one aside in a glass so that we can have this alongside the golden because I'm really fascinated. Uh, yeah. Even if they're not sort of part of you know we've, they're sort of related to each other, but to get those two flavours next to each other. But I think everyone who's in the room with us now, our hardcore fans, properly understand what a saison is, but not a style that we hear about a lot in Australia necessarily. Can you just run through for you know some of the newer podcast listeners what sort of flavours they should be getting out of the saison? Saisons are just like really delicious, easy drinking, like Northern France um, kind of beverages. So traditionally they were just brewed in winter by the farmers and they would then be offered in summer as part of payment for workers coming to your farm. And if I brewed a better saison than my neighbour, then the workers would come work for me and not go work for him. I've never actually heard that bit of the equation before, but that makes a lot of sense, can I say? Yeah. So it was, it was, it's the broadest beer category of all of them um, in terminology. Uh And like, that's where farmhouse comes from. Like Saison is farmhouse. And it's kind of pretty loosely used and somewhat confusing. Like the word sour, like what do you actually mean by sour in a beer? So all of our sours are, long lactic ferment like acid produces in barrel as opposed to a kettle sour or a lactic addition mm-hmm. um, and we use different components different bacteria to get different acids so that we can kind of trigger different parts of the mouth with different acids rather than just being a lactic acid which like hits the back of your tongue or yeah so we can work with all different things to construct a beer and is it fair to say that like a, a saison you know, rather than, say, being hop-driven, like, you know, most beers that people sort of start out their beer journey with, that really what we're getting here is primarily because of those uh, yeasts. Mm. Yeah. So it's a a yeast-driven beer. Like, it's so simple. It's really just Pilsner and wheat um, with a bit of, like, classic SARS. And that's, that's it. So it's very similar to a Pils with a bit of wheat. And the bit of wheat in there is added in so that it's got something to chew on over time. Mm-hmm. And these are brewed so that we get a diversity of sugars um, in terms of long chain and short chain sugars so that Bretomyces has something to chew on in the long run so that it can start producing its flavor profile. And the primary sack that we're pitching, which is like a B134, so classic Saison, um, will go in, make itself known and it eats and gets it to like 5.2 percent and then we move it to oak for secondary and brett goes in and then chews up the rest of the sugars over time and brett is an amazing amazing like yeast and it it'll eat all the different components made by the primary yeast it'll eat esters and convert them um yeah and it scavenges oxygen so you don't have any oxygen issues over time in bottle um yeah and it makes the amazing flavors that are in our gold so Saison is a, a delicious beer that once aged properly can turn into an even stellar beer. Um, Jane in the chat has said she's just got apricot flavor after emptying the can. And I'm and I'm the like I and I, I sense that too. So you get those a lot of those bready characters at the front, but yeah, once it starts to yeah, once it warms up and starts to kind of sit, yeah, apricot and stone fruit. I get like a really lovely pear, like a stew pear character going on. 
um it's yeah it's it's funny that that the evolution in the can kind of mirrors your, some of the ideas of what it does given time like the the it's, yeah. it's all about giving it time whether or not in the glass or or in the vessel yeah yeah so i'm like i had covid four weeks ago yeah. um didn't affect me overly badly other than i did lose my taste and i'm only like just getting it back now but i'm drinking this one which is like iteration three to see how one of the older bdc's is comparing to the one that you guys are drinking and yeah, it, it dries out a lot more. So the other the other note on a beer de coupage is that it is a dry hopped beer as well. That base says on. I pitch a standard standard like top end pitch of um, Citra. So eight grams a liter of Citra goes into this one. So anything over eight, you start to get like lose efficiency and conversion. The amount of hops you put in doesn't actually get converted into like actually flavor perception. So I went with eight grams as my max in this one. So it is giving that like tropical fruit, um, passion fruit and stone fruit. It's really mm-hmm. helping punch those flavors from the base beer. Yeah. Recognizing this is a blend, but you know, can you just sort of give people a bit of an impression of, you know, how long you've been working with these, with the liquid that's in this can, like how long is it sitting in barrels it's, you know, again, people are pretty used to the idea that, you know, people make a beer six weeks later or thereabouts, it goes into a can and goes out onto the shelf. It's a very different story, I expect, with this. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, half the component of this is a year and a half. The original can had two, um, and now our cultures are speeding up in barrel, so we're about a year and a half is now producing something that what we had at two years, um, which is really cool. I, yeah, I'm a bit scared of like the third or fourth iteration and how quickly they turn around and whether it starts to stray. Can I just, sorry to jump in, can I just ask, is that because there's now more culture in the barrel itself or what leads to that speeding up? It's a more refined culture, I think. So it might stray depending on what bacteria it has in it because most of my barrels have uh, probably three pitches. So I do, all my, all my barrels are mixed ferment. I don't have anything spontaneous here. So everything is mixed ferment and some of them have PDO, some of them are lacto, some of them are just Brett combos mm-hmm. and some of them are then combos of combos or bottle dregs. And yeah, there's a, a nice array here of different flavored golds. Is that part of the mission to make it more and more complex? Like it, it, we're fine, but do you also go, Oh yeah, let's, let's throw that in the mix and let's, get this and put that in to, to make not really mm-hmm. my like the the main thought of blending a gold is that i want that signature black arts that we had in number one yeah so like you you'll, you'll taste it when we crack that next beer and hopefully that'll be pretty soon but it's, yeah. it's <laughs> well let's do it let's yeah, do it let's right do now. it That's yeah, yeah. I've, a matter of fact so, i've already done it and it's yeah well it's, i haven't so i'll do this yeah, perfect. Proof positive that I've done it. Yeah, it's like this is this is an amazing beer, and it still blows me away. At Blobfish on the weekend, we served number one, mm-hmm. which uh, that keg I kegged January 2019, and it was a mixture of I think three year old beers. Wow. So yeah, 2019. That's like three. So it's six years <laughs> old that beer. 
Wow. And it was so good. Like, um, it was delicious. I, I just couldn't stop thinking and smiling. Like, <laughs> yeah, what were the, yeah, how did it change? Like, where, like, I'm sure more complex, but where were the changes? Where, what really kind of got you excited about it? Uh, just how good it still was. Like, it's, it's just an amazing, delicious beer. And it hadn't actually changed that much. Um, when you barrel age a beer for three years and then jam an impact, it kind of stops. Yep. Um, so the bitter coupage is going to have more evolution in can because it has that younger component. And I'm not pasteurizing this. There's there's Brett in there. So right. I'm, I'm packaging it pretty bone dry, but there is Brett in there and it does evolve. Like drinking this one, which is number three, um, mm. there's, there's evolution in there. But the gold, so the gold is just like, when, I, when I'm blending my golds, I'm looking for pineapple, guava, and tropical on the yep. nose. And then on the front palate, should be almost those same things with a bit of passion fruit. A nice light acidity that hits the like middle of the tongue, mm-hmm. side of the tongue. And then it just cleans up and disappears like you haven't really had the beer. So it's nice, light, crisp, and works really well with food. But then also what gets you wanting to have, have more so i'm not really looking for a building acidity and i'm not looking for a super funky like like cantillon is just like heavy hay i'm kind of looking for a balanced funk level in the beers so that's what i'm looking for when i blend each one i'm not really looking for a progressive development of flavor i'm just looking for it to keep light fruity acidic and just in tune with where my previous batches have been I need to ask, because it's funny, drinking this, I'm immediately thinking about what I would serve with it. But tell mm. us, you know, what kinds of foods do you like to have these beers served with? And for people who are, again, listening at home, what should they be What should they be serving it with? I think beer works with any food, and it's really interesting just to pair stuff. So, mm. like, Fox in the Corn, we served pasta, and then we had an array of beers, and everyone was like, that's weird having a, a beer bar with pasta. But our beers work insanely well with cheeses and anything fatty. So porks, briskets, um, because you use that acidity to cleanse the palate. So every time you go back to the dish, it tastes like that first bite. Yeah, Everything is really like just hitting the mouth and it's just delicious. So very similar to just drinking it with wine over dinner. And yeah, it's just yum. Mark in the call in the chat has said seafood, and I'm thinking that I've got to say again, even fried seafood or little fried, you know, tasty sort of hors d'oeuvres, I could just see it working so well with that again. Because each time you change what you're eating, you've refreshed the palate in the meantime. Yeah, I mean, I've drunk with ice cream, and it's like still works. Kind of a bit weird, spider, but yum. Oh yeah, that would (laughs) that yeah, that would be. Crazy, but I can see how that would work. Or um, I I I kind of also feel um like a lot of cheese, like along the same lines as you were talking, just that clear that fattiness and reset the palate a little bit. But also uh, like kind of those 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 fruit characters going with the cheese, like it just yeah, it yeah. it is yeah, fascinating, delicious. Yeah. Like the red works really well with red meat because it's just like that thick and delicious. And it has lots of um, like cherry and currant kind of flavor profiles in it. So this one probably would be more to the lighter meats and seafood. But yeah. um, 
for the for the wine wankers who are listening to the podcast, there's like a Chardonnay reductiveness there too, like a little bit of a, I don't know what it is. I'm not sure even that's that's exactly it, but it's just yeah, there's just a real Venice kind of wine character to this to this beer, which I'm really loving. Like you describe it as light, but like there's so much. I still feel like there's so much going on and so much weight and so much interest there, and in a different way from the 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 um beer decoupage like yeah it's it's a tasty beer like i'm i'm really surprised and impressed yeah it's it was pretty interesting releasing that first round of gold and everyone was like what the fuck like where have you been and why is this first your first release Mm. it's interesting you say that it's got like that chardonnay reduction to me and again i'm sure it's partly due to the barrel aging but it's still got some of that aged semillon type you know some of those sort of flavors coming through in it as well but um yeah yeah kind of pencil shavings and that kind of thing going on yeah there's a there's a little bit going on here it's pretty yeah it's pretty fascinating i'm really yeah caught me by surprise um but yeah going on to the the with that wine idea where did all the barrels come from uh they most of them are just ex-Shiraz Syrah barrels that have just come into Melbourne that I picked up. Like we have got a few finishing barrels recently. So someone in the post said they're drinking a musket. Um, that was a finishing barrel. So add another step of complexity in there. We move an old gold into a musket barrel and leave it for a year and see how that's tasting. And at the same time, we got a couple of Jack Daniels barrels and we did a reg, red and Jack and a golden Jack that were in there for nine months, I think. Um, so we've got a few of those, but most of them are just ex-reds coming out of wineries from all over Victoria. And there's some Barossa ones that come down here as well. I, what I really wanted to ask a question, which is sort of same, same, but different, but we, we normally do a little sort of tour of the beer and talk about the, the way it looks in the glass. Uh, and we sort of skipped over that because we were so fascinated by talking about the flavours, but clearly a golden ale gets its name by how it appears in the glass. Can you yeah. talk us a little bit through how, first of all, how you want it to look uh, and how important that is in how people perceive the drink that they're about to have? Well, this, this beer style, so is paying homage to like Gers and Lambic. So not really spontaneous and I'm not doing turbid. So it's kind of just giving a salute to those beers. Um, but like those beers, they are just bright as. So two years in oak um, makes your beer insanely bright. And I wish everyone could kind of see it and drink it as I package it. Because um, then what happens in bottle is something amazing again, but it does need a secondary, third, fourth ferment, depending on how many things it's gone through. Um, so we are adding a little bit more sugar and our packaging yeast. So we get nice consistent bubbles, which so far has been pretty good. Like our style of beer is a little bit harder, but the the longer golds and the longer reds are very stable in their final gravities. Um, mm-hmm. So in the glass, it should be bright if you poured it correctly. And then as you progress to the end of the bottle, it gets a bit more cloudy, a little bit more buttery, a little bit more Chardonnay. But that is just the um, yeast. So the carbing yeast that's sitting in the bottom of the bottle. Um, so those Belgium guys have little baskets that sit your bottle at a perfect angle and you've got to pour them consistently through all the glass. And as soon as you see the trub come up into the neck, you kind of stop your pour and that's it. Um, 
yeah, that kind of works if you're collecting dregs because then you can walk over to your barrel and tip those little yeasties into your next barrel if you're drinking a Cantillon or a uh, particular Boon or Drefontaine. But if you're drinking my beer, you're just going to get, what is it, an F2 yeast, which is a cask conditioning yeast. Um, Yeah. We needed, does, that advice. We needed that advice a couple of weeks ago for people who want to go back and check out the archives, go back and listen to Dave and Dave talk Sydney breweries, uh, where Dave Croft and I, uh, on our adventures, ended up at Wildflower and dealing with those little uh, baskets that you were describing and having no idea how to deal with them or how to pour them. And um, that led to some shenanigans. But um, now we know what to do and also genuinely why they are as they are. I hadn't realised that was the case. Yeah, so it depends on the brewer in Belgium. So Drefontaine, uh, Anout, who passed away, was it recently, started this year? Um, yeah, he was very particular with never pouring the end of the beer. But Frank Boone always says it's like an interesting comparison. And like, I think it's quite, if I leave it separate and then drink that last little bit, it's like really interesting at how the mouthfeel changes with that little bit mm. of yeast sitting in the glass. Yeah. It's like um, the, to to pick a really odd comparison, but yeah, I suppose like Coopers. Like it depends on if you if you like. I don't. I've never rolled my Coopers. I think it's kind of. I don't know. I don't want. I, I it homogenizes. It, I can understand it, but I've always drank it clear and just smashed the last yeasty bit at the end because yeah, it's just a completely different experience. Yeah. I hear. I see a lot of head shaking. Jacob, you. Uh, as no, no, I just think this is one. If you want to correspond with Warren on this matter, I'm happy to reveal his address to the world and send all of your correspondence direct to Warren, not through me. Good, David, did you want to leave the discussion through design and the and these beautiful these beautiful designs of the cans and even and even the 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 great signage which is behind Josh Joshua's head, um, which is. Yeah, terrific. I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Recognising that, you know, Chelsea is the one you've brought in to deal with some of this, but I'd love to know, first of all, that sort of nightmare that you had um, when those designs came back. Let's not talk about who did them, but what did they look like and why wasn't it right before we start to move on to why this is right? We kind of engaged someone that, like I thought would suit the brief and she was really good at like little caricatures. And so the brief was that we wanted to represent um, all the different bugs, almost as if you were looking at the beer in a micro, like, like a magnifying glass. And so we wanted all these little characters that would represent all the different components of the yeast in the beer. Um, and it was really cool. The development drawings were really sick, but then it kind of came out insanely childish and not complex to the level that I wanted it to. Um, yeah, right. And so, like, these beers are and to convey that idea is hard. Mm. And we've, like, we've gone through so many iterations of what our labels look like, of which... I think we've finally settled on where they are. So the most recent gold, red, and the cans are all like, if you put them next to each other, you're like, yeah, that's black arts. But if you look back through our catalogue, that you'll get confused. <laughs> so confused. I've got to say, a bit of that early, the, the, the design you never used sounds a bit like how Dettol or someone likes to represent all the germs that might be 
crawling over your your sink when your nine week old might you know comes up and touches it. I mean, it's yeah. a very tricky thing to get right. It is. They were very um, like triangular and circular, and like I don't know. I I didn't I didn't feel it. Um, so mm-hmm. we kind of went with this simplistic topography uh, thing, and like I always loved that you could tell a gold and a red. So. I worked in Fox and then we went, I went and worked for a year in slow beer and I spent a lot of time looking at beers and the amount of people that would pick up a Gerz or a Lambic and be like, what kind of beer is this? And they were just so confused. So um, I wanted to have that gold and red iterated on the can or on the bottle. So the original, we had a gold sticker or a red sticker. Um, the cans all had that little band around the bottom. Um but recently we've just like dumped all of that and just gone with this super simplistic like palette of um, pastels and mm-hmm. kept it really simple. But we still have, we still use our graphic designer that we kind of, we have, we have a friend that was in Canada at the time and we were like, we really want to engage her, but she's so far away. Um, and she was super busy over there. And right after I had the like horrible dream, she came home so we were like yes but she was out of, out of out of our budget for every single can so we got her to do those nice little um sketches that appear on our specialty bottles mm. um and yeah they're like they're amazing like that's the kind of little bugs that we want and they, they're on our website as well if you want to see them so they're like just little little characters that are fun and playful um and kind of yeah, so they appear on all our fruited and dry hopped and barrel beers and anything that's just outside the normal core. We, I don't want to dwell on the bad bits and, and that little sort of waking up in a, in, at three o'clock in the morning, but also partly that's what we do as a podcast because I think that's what's fascinating for people to, to mm. hear those sort of stories. And when you work in hospital, we've all got our versions oh. of them. Um how did you and Chelsea have that conversation and how did she become involved in, in doing these things, given, as I understand it, that wasn't sort of where she thought her life would be going? So yeah, was it, was it a, a, darling, you're the best, I need you to solve this problem, or did she go away and have a think and sort of come back with a bit of a solution? No, she just saw in the morning how stressed I was about <laughs> it. And, like, yeah, she... She was like, I'll, I'll have a play and see what I come up with. And I knew pretty much anything that she did was going to be good. Like, she's been with me, like, we've been together now for 14 years. So she's been around a long time and understands the aesthetics. And, like, we've drunk beer together for so long now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. She doesn't have the classical training of beer drinking, but she can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down on whether something's good. And usually give me a few words to relate to that as well, which is great because she's the average punter. So if I can make a beer that I don't like, but I can give to her, she can kind of talk me around from ditching it. Is that, is, are there times that, that happens like that? Yep, all the time. That gold that you're drinking, I was like, nah, this is shit. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, we got a gold for it at AIBA, so it's like... Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, and lucky, yeah. Once again, shout out to all the partners. What am I doing? Shout out to all the partners who who kind of, who, oh, shout out to Chelsea who saved this beer because it is, it's, yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah, and you kind of, I suppose you get in your own head sometimes. And, uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Yep. The last last gold that I did, no, the second last gold that I did, I decided it'd be a good idea to pull all my golds at the same time and then work my way through them. Uh-huh. And I ended up getting insanely depressed about what I was tasting. But I like I was so eager to try all the beers at the same time and compare them that I got palate fatigue about a tenth of the way through. That everything after that not as it should and I'm incredibly depressed that 90% of my beers were shit <laughs> and I was like what the fuck like what am I going to do now but she talked me down off that ledge and we ditched all the beers and I spent the afternoon cleaning all the glasses up and cleaning the mess that I made and the next day <laughs> when I went along and tried all the beers they were all really delicious again yeah. uh, well I won't speak for Warren but I, I I can relate to that in terms of various times that my wife has talked me out of equivalent uh, ledges along the way so I think that's part of that thing when you when you have those really high expectations and obviously if you produce a number of beers you know you're going to have your favorites and the ones that you don't look back on as fondly but that doesn't mean that you're not clearing the bar that everyone out here uh, would like to to taste because these beers that we're experiencing so far are amazing and the gold mm. is a great example of that yeah the gold is really like even at, when i tried it at um, blobfish that 2019 i was like wow i made this that's like amazing yeah. like and it's still you, when you crack the red, it's just so bright and just the nose of it and the flavor of it is just so good. And since we got our brew house and I've been able to expand the lineup and focus a little bit more outside the gold and the red, it's like, yeah, there's so many tasty things I can make, which is like where the West Coast and the Bitter Coupage really got like honed in and the berry. So, yeah, those ones are all iterations of them, of each other. And while we take a little break there in the live Zoom room, good opportunity for me just to remind you of some fun things we've got coming up and some ways that you can support the podcast. Uh, We're off doing some fun collaborational things with our very good friends from Co-Conspirators Brewing uh, here in Melbourne. Uh, And that's going to lead to a live event at the end of August. Uh, We really hope as many people can come along on a Sunday afternoon to join us as possible for that. Uh, Check out our Facebook events page uh, to see more about that and about the other live events that we have coming up in August. And if you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, that's another really good way to support the podcast. Uh, That way you find out about the live events, be they online or in the flesh, uh, and you can be part of those. Uh, Usually they're free to come along to for events like the one we're doing with co-conspirators. And it's just a really good way of staying in touch with the whole Cool Room community. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, that's also a really good way to make sure you don't miss out on an episode and just shows a bit of support for what we're doing here. So you don't always have to buy a pack. There are other ways that you can support us. Those are a couple of great examples of that. Okay, hope you're enjoying the episode here with Joshua and Black Arts. Let's go back to the Zoom room and hear a little bit more about the Red Ale that we'll be enjoying. Well, we're back here after our little break live in the Zoom room. We've done what we nearly always do in the Zoom room, uh, which is to say we're having a break, but then to sit around and have a conversation. Uh, We've been talking about all sorts of important things, uh, blast radiuses, uh, liquid leakage, uh, bund walls, but amongst other things that we discussed, uh, Joshua was giving a bit of an insight into what he thinks one of the most 
interesting things and perhaps useful things that home brewers can do if they really want to explore blending and making some great beers. Um, Joshua, before we open the rib, do you want to give us a bit of an idea about what you were talking about there? Yeah, so I was, I was talking about oxygen and mixed ferments. And yeah, there's, I've, I've played around with like Dimogens and 20 litre barrels and smaller format barrels and lots of them turned acidic insanely quickly or went so far and so quick that I made delicious vinegar that I then dumped down the sink. Um, so if most people come here and I get the question every time we open is how do I make delicious beers like these? And I always say, start with like a 200 liter barrel, just get a break and potentially a friend and <laughs> fill it consecutively so that you're getting a nice saison base in there. And then once it's full, do a mix ferment. So pitch a whole bunch of which I'm trying to look at my barrels. I remember um, Giga Sour Cherry by Yeast, Lacto B and another one is one of my favorite combos of um, bacteria. And then when it gets delicious, put a little vinny nail in it. When it gets delicious after tasting it lots, then pull a 20 liter keg and top brew the same day and top up. So you're doing a Solera. Um, and then whenever you want more, you just pull a bit more and top it up again. And that way you should have something that progressively gets more um, age on it and just has a delicious base flavor profile that then you can pull off and do fruitings and all sorts of stuff. But you'll get the right oxygen ingress and hopefully not make vinegar. And how often can people get, you know, does that mean every Thursday night you're pulling off 20 litres to share with your friend, which I, or, you know, is it like every month or every quarter? You know, how would you? Um, it'd go by flavour profile. I'd probably go with every quarter. Um, if I pull more than half a barrel, I'm not kind of tasting that for the next eight months. You can tell I've spent too long in economic discussions today that I've just automatically referred to quarters as though that's somehow a measure of time that most normal people might use. But there you go. Yeah. If you're going to drink that much, you might need a few barrels. <laughs> Let's open the red. You can hear I've just done that. Let's pour it into a lovely glass. And again, uh, Joshua, can you take us on a little bit of a tour of this, starting out with how it should look in the glass for us and, and onwards from there? Uh, so this beer, when held up to the light, because it's nighttime, should be bright red and just like delightful in colour. Like, amazing. Like this beer, always, the first thing I got to hold it up to a light and look at it because it's just so good. It's the only malt that we use that is not Voyager malt. So we get, uh, what is it? Gladfields. Uh, oh, man, Red Delight. So good. Shepherd's Delight. And it is just like banging for beautiful red toffee caramel. Um, yeah, just yum. Yeah. And then flavor profile on the nose, it sh you should get like stone fruit, uh, a little bit of cherry, a little bit of almonds, um, and then currant. And then should, should I be getting toffee, or was it only that you were describing the sort of the color when? when no, no, you should. There it? should be. There's lots of caramel malts in there. Um, so you should be getting a lot of those as well. So this one is like Rodenbach is one of my all-time favorite beers. Mm -hmm. um, I've made the pilgrimage and drunk some of the beers right after Palm bought it. So it was kind of a bit somewhat depressing. Um, but still, the beer was tasty. So 
this was my homage to those guys. And the one tweak that I kind of made to it was I don't like the idea of ethyl acetate, which is that nail polish remover that they're mm. looking for in their, the nose of their beer. Um, it's something that I don't gel with. So I wanted a mix of acids to try and complement that on the palate. But what I wanted on the nose was that like cherry, um, almonds and caramel. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's so good. Like, I think I prefer this over the gold. I drink a little bit more of this than the gold. And it's just yum. I drink a lot of Rodenbach as well, though. So, so we're talking a little bit inside baseball there. Rodenbach is one of those beers that, for everyone who's embarked on their craft beer journey, will know. Uh, but for people who are just sort of listening in and using this as an opportunity to learn about beers, Tell us who Rodenbach is and, uh, and and let us all have a little bit of a nerd out by hearing about your visit there because that's a place I'd love to go one day. Oh, yeah, it's really, really, really cool. Um, so Rodenbach do just a Flanders Red. Um, they're the biggest producer of Flanders Red in the world and they ferment everything in massive oak fooders. Um, I think they got 242 and they're all 20,000 litre plus. They look beautiful and their fooder halls are just amazing to walk around. Um, and they just make this one beer and it is just so good. The balance of caramel acid is kind of like the red wine of beer. If you think that Gers and Lambic is a, um, like a white wine version. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you can find it out here in a lot of spots. Like most of the good bottle shops have it at a good price. And yeah, like this is another thing that we used to pump all the time at Fox was just cans of classic Rodenbach, Rodenbach. Um, and they just make one beer and then depending on how they blend it or how they fruit it is what the flavor profile of the beer is. So Rodenbach, Rodenbach is their classic. It has two thirds, one year old beer and one third, two year old beer. Um, Grand Cru is three quarters, two year old beer and one quarter, one year old beer. So you can kind of, put them side by side and taste what a young and an old is. But then they do like Alexander and character Rouge where they add fruit. And then there's fruitage as well that they add fruit juice to, to kind of in the same portions as character Rouge, which is whole fruit into a a single vintage of Oak. And David Craig's giving a little shout out to the Edinburgh castle where apparently that's on tap at the moment. So if you're you're in Melbourne and wanting to, Get a little experience of what that's like. Head yeah. over to the Edinburgh Castle. Shout out to them. And um, again, it's sort of one of those beers that you know, if you were if you're starting out your craft beer journey, and you want to sort of taste ten beers from around the world, you know, to get an idea, mm. uh, that would have to be one of them. It's so unique. Like the Duchess is another one that is a Flanders Red that makes it out here, but it's pretty. It's appearing more now. It wasn't around back when I had Fox that much, but like you can find Grand Cru in a lot of spots and the price point of just the Rodenbach cans are just so easy. It's like very cheap and is one of those ones that needs to be on there next to Saison de Pont. Absolutely. I think Warren Mm. will know that when we were doing one of our um, 
birthday parties at the Royal Mailings. Pencil Street, I don't need to plug it anymore. I haven't been there for a long time, but we were doing our sort of dessert afternoon and serving that Rodenbach uh, with uh, strawberries and cream to so essentially good. replace the balsamic in the, in the sort of the lineup of food. Yeah. It was, I could have that all summer long, I reckon, as a dessert, a glass of the Rodenbach with that food. There yeah. It's, it's so young and it just works so well. So this, this is my homage to that. So we probably carry about 30% of our oak has red. And when I taste it, it's the one that like, I'm like, every barrel is like, holy fuck. Am I allowed to swear? Like, mm-hmm. I swear a lot. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, please. I went to I Blogfish and said, realized that I probably said the fuck word maybe over a thousand times because I was just talking to people all the time. And then I was like, holy crap, I got potty mouth. I, I think we need to explain what Blobfish is because overseas yeah. listeners will have no idea what we're referring to there. And yeah. a few of us were just down the road that day. Warren. Well, and everyone else, everyone in the room seemed to go to it. Well, I, did, I didn't, yeah. Yeah, oh. you, you, me and Travis didn't. We went yeah, to we... Bonehead and had a beer. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are super close to your bonehead. Yeah. yeah. So blobfish yeah. is a very interesting term for an all-sour, Australian all-sour fest. Because mm. when I Googled, first heard of it and I Googled a blobfish, I was so confused. <laughs> but it's a, it's a sour beer festival that I think like our top and garage project were like, oh man, there was so many good beers there. It um, was kind of hard to pick. I've got to say, the reason I didn't go, because I knew that we had you on the show a week later, that I'd been to Wildflower the week before, and we'd had Dollar Bill uh, as part of our live event at Beer uh, Beer Deluxe a week or two before that. So I sort of felt like I'd ticked most of the boxes that I wanted to tick. But Mm. were there any surprises there? Do you want to give any other breweries a bit of a shout out that you went and tasted something a bit different? Oh, man. Like, I was super keen for Laura. So, um, like wildflower offshoot their brewer that then went back to america yeah yeah so i hadn't had any of his beers yet and they were so good like yeah amazing and then what made them, oh hold on what made them so good like give us a little insight into why why we, we why we should be impressed well it was an interesting unique balance of australian botanicals and a gold that mm-hmm. were all very like nicely placed in the palate like there's so many sour beers out there that have been made and the base beer might not be amazing so they put 20 different things in it to try and cover that and yeah like you've got to go in with just something simple but if you are going to put four components in you need to be able to taste them all like if i'm if i make a quince and raspberry and pepperberry beer I want you to taste all three of those components and I want them all to be harmoniously delicious, but at the same time, quite defined on the palate so that you can differentiate each component as opposed to all you taste is raspberry and the other things I've just written on the bottle. Mm-hmm. It's a great um, answer. Yeah. So here's one where it was using like Australian botanicals. The two that I tried were Australian botanicals and they were just like so balanced. The acidity level was delicious. Like all the bits were just complimentary and, just yum. Any beer that I drink that I make and anyone else makes, if it's yum, then it's awesome. Well, hopefully Heinrich in Norway, that makes sense uh, to you now as to why we've been talking about blobfish uh, for the last hour or so. Uh, and if not, 
our deep, deep apologies. There's something to be said about Yum, going back to the actual conversation. Yeah, it's like we often talk about the technical side and we also talk about, you know, the, the finessing of the brewing. But when the product is just yum, like it, there's got to be something to be said about, about that, like the, the yumminess of a, of a beer. Um, there's a yumminess to this beer, but there's also about the red that we're drinking, but there's also kind of a real weight and, and body to it. Um, it's, and, and you completely understand why, you, why previously you spoke about having it with red meat um, because, yeah, we can totally see how this has the weight to, to carry that off. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a really cool beer that's super underestimated in the market, which makes it super hard for us to sell. But whenever I put it on tap and kind of put it in a glass for someone, first they're amazed by the color and then they're followed up amazed by the flavor profile of it. This um, is so good. Yeah. And so with you discussed... Um, so in when you spoke about Rodenback, you spoke about how how they they blended it and they they evolved it into different products. Is there a similar philosophy when, with with your red with your red wild? Is it uh, do you have plans in your head to to oh, well, you've probably already done it, but to evolve it into other things, to blend it in different ways, to fruit in different ways, to in a in a similar fashion? Um, like we do that with the gold as well. So I've mm-hmm. got the was it seven fruiting tanks that are big fruiting tanks. I've also got like 60 liter little fermenter sources and there's probably 15 of them here, the 60 liter ones. So I do lots of mini mat like batches, which is what our coven is. The coven is our like little membership group that I make weird and wonderful beers for. Um, now tell so people how they can be part of Coven. Let's do, yeah. do your little spiel and ad here, really genuinely. Yeah, uh, so Coven Coven goes out normally November December, so it's kind of like finishes up around Christmas, um, and each year it's open. And then how many like slots I sell, I um, will then make the beer associated with the amount of people. And the idea is to do test beds that will then make it into larger format and larger versions. Um, so yeah, there's so many fun things that you can play with with this beer. So I'll pull some red down. I'll put it on um, some navel orange skins, let it sit. Um, and then once it tastes like a Negroni, I'll pull it out and package it still. And then put a little note on the neck saying, serve it like a Negroni over a last cube of ice and a burn of orange and just drink it like a cocktail. And it is delightful as fuck um another one that i did that year was a gold that i pulled out and put on all the gin botanicals because i've got the still um i've got all the gin botanicals here so we just did a classic um london dry gin so there was however many liters on that and then once it tasted like a gold with gin um i then pulled it out and put it on lavender and pink grapefruit for another month and that came out also tasting like really insanely delicious. So the Coven collab is six beers throughout the year that are like weird and wonderful that are something that I might not normally make. Um, it's definitely something I wouldn't put out to the greater market. I did a curry leaf beer last year. So Ooh. curry leaf and 
mm. really savory and unami and delicious and worked so well with like with what kind of base gold so it's just gold and curry leaf uh, yeah yeah that super interesting mm. that would be really interesting yeah the idea is that people will either love it or hate it and they won't sit on the fence um yeah really interesting i thought more people would actually not kind of prefer that yeah. but yeah. a lot of people loved it wow well, we do we do lots of savory in that like i love our beers with savory so adding like rosemary or thyme we did a lemon and thyme but that was for mr west that was delicious in a gold um it's mainly golds that we use i, I always forget that i've got red up my sleeve um so I've only done a few reds there, but basil and blueberry, basil and black blackberry, and yeah, lots of lots of fun little components of playing with th- thinking about being like the kitchen and thinking about cocktails and how I can incorporate those things into our beer and kind of I like blurring the lines between a beverage and beer. Yeah, it's a great call, uh, Jeff. In the uh, in the chat, Jeff from Seaford. Given we're having our uh, an attempt to mention Seaford the most times in any podcast in world history, we think we keep mentioning Seaford. But uh, Jeff saying that he loved the curry leaf, and it's funny you mentioned cocktails because I can remember being in India and having uh, curry leaf martinis, and I yeah. loved those. That were just this. It was just such an intense, interesting flavor. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. So it's, many things like I. I'm, I've, it's on the cards to make a vermouth out of our gold as well, like blend those two together so that then when we make our gin, you can do like a full black arts martini. Mm. And yeah, like that would work so well with a gold base, but it, it's on the cards to do. And whenever I find time and amongst everything I do, I'll, I'll definitely try and put it together. Um, I think before we go into uh, audience questions, David, I reckon we should do the the traditional courtroom question. I think that would be a, a nice way to to go. So, um, Josh, we've so, a question we try to ask all of our guests, um, and it's great that we've got someone who who had their own venue because I think that really. Um, it really captures what this question's about. So we're called The Cool Room because we're not cool at all. It's just The Cool Rooms tend to be where everything fucks up uh, in a in a hospitality venue, where things go wrong, uh, brewing, hospitality, whatever. There's just cool rooms of shit. So um, The Cool Room question is, what is the most confusing, strange, amusing thing you've ever seen in a cool room and when we say cool room it could be brewery it could be restaurant dining room could be any hospitality or brewing uh venue remembering that you never reference your own venue we just talk about this mythological other yeah yeah, it's just a place yeah yeah i i've never really found anything weird in a cool room I've, i've been in a few but i've like other than getting a beer shower which is just a stupid coupler thing when you're like late night working and then copping a beer in the face. Um, but there's, I'm insanely fanatical about cleaning. Like I don't have any gutters or anything here and I use a mop to clean up after myself and my mop is always next to me and always full of disinfectant. So whenever I ran a venue, which most of them going back to me being like 18 was, I would clean like, yeah. 
If I'm doing my job properly at Fox in the Corn, I would be cleaning the toilets and mopping at the end of the day and everything else would be looked after by my staff. You know, like that's like, I see that as a good, good kind of manager role that my, I keep, keep, I I do the cleanliness and oversee. And then there's lots of ordering and crap like that. But the day-to-day stuff is, yeah, usually handled by others. But yeah, nothing, nothing crazy or weird in a fridge. Like I know at Fox, we used to have a really cool Rodenbach keg that I don't know where it is because when I sold, it was still sitting hidden in the very back. It was like a vintage Rodenbach from single fooder from 2012 in a wow. green palm keg. I bought anything, two of them. Has anything else gone into that venue or are you suggesting that that might still be sitting out the back there somewhere? I don't know. It, it might still be sitting out in the back. Like he doesn't, I sold it my share out to my business partner at the time. So he still has it from my knowledge and I, he doesn't keep untapped up to date. So I don't know whether he's put it on or not, but we paid a thousand bucks for a 20 liter keg. So it's a pretty exy beer. Now I don't want to sort of do anything publicly that could get anyone into trouble, but it's about eight o'clock Melbourne time. Just in the Zoom room, just give me a hands up. It won't be recorded. If you feel like going over to Footscray about two o'clock tomorrow morning and just having a bit of a wander through the back streets and knocking on, and no, let's let's move along. Let's not get bogged down on that. But that yeah, that sounds like an amazing keg. Yeah. yeah, it is. The first one I tapped was really cool. Um, so delicious, so unique. It was very similar to the vintages that you can buy because those are also single single fooders, but. Yeah, for a keg, I think they only brought four into Australia and we got two of them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it's an amazing thing because as a venue owner, you clearly have to establish a level of trust with the uh, the reps and the importing companies. You just don't get that kind of beer offered to you in, in normal circumstances. Mm. Yeah, I, I paid my all my bills COD even though I need, didn't need to. And I knew that people, when they brought expensive shit in, would come straight knocking to me because they knew they'd get paid straight away as opposed to pushing them out to like 60 days. Yeah. Um, it's a re- I wasn't going to do this at all, but it's a really good reason to plug the fact that if you're a Cool Room Pack subscriber and get your monthly <laughs> uh, monthly packs from us, you get first go at all of those weird and wonderful beers that we get access to. Like Cantillon, uh, like some other, you know, like some of the collective arts at a reduced rate. Uh, And we've got a couple of fun things coming up. Uh, If you're not a subscriber and you're on the mailing list, then you'll get a crack at them. But please subscribe. That's one of the little bonuses that we do to say thank you uh, for keeping this ticking over month by month. Although I think my invoices are out to 90 days, come to think of it. You're a special case, Warren Wu. We know yeah, tell me about it. Let's let's go. Yeah, should we do? Should we do? Uh, I've got. I've got pres- oh no! Nah, I've got two David questions, and then let's throw to audience questions. But there's a, there's okay, a couple great. of things. One of which is, I love the opportunity to show how naive I am, um, which I'd like to say is because I'm not naive and I love to show it. But now this is a question out of genuine genuine naivety. The barrels that you use, do you ever sort of swap in the gold and the reds or is it the first time that like when a red goes in, it never gets used for gold again or is there a capacity to swap those around? Um, I will say that there's a capacity to swap them around. I have not done it except for an accident, which was my favourite barrel, which is really, really annoying. 
So here's our cool room answer. This is here's the mistake that turned into yeah. something beautiful. Well, I don't know if it turned into something beautiful because I don't think I've drunk it yet. But yeah, I had a barrel called Number Six, and it was so freaking good just by itself. It was like um, apricot by itself. We did originally release that bottle or that like keg by itself in a bottle, but when we moved here, we lost that barrel in amongst all the other stuff. Um, and it turned out, I found it a year later, it was faced the other way. I'd spun it around on the forklift. So I just relabeled it. But when I got in and dug through the barrels, when I was climbing through them one day, um, yeah, I saw a six on the back of it. And I was like, that's where it fucking went. But luckily I pulled the beer off and the yeast off before we moved. So I still had that base culture that I then injected into another six barrels, I think. Um, so it is now tasting just as good as the original six. That's a, that's a great answer. It wasn't at all the answer I was expecting from my question, but, you know, like all the best podcasts are the ones that we record and never actually record properly, uh, except yeah, this one actually has a legacy that lives on. Somewhat. But, I, like, I run a Solera, so I pull partial barrels and then we'll top up with gold or red. So technically it should never really happen. Um, but yeah, like I, I rarely pull whole barrels. And the other question I'm going to ask is on behalf of Mark from Seaford, uh, another Seaford reference there, uh, whose internet connection isn't fantastic tonight, but uh, he wanted to know how easy it is for you if you wanted to remake a beer easily, um, whether you keep such, you know, clear notes that it's easy to replicate them, or is it something that actually sort of, you know, you can never quite step into the same river twice. Never, never can repeat. I keep really meticulous notes and like I've got pages on pages of them. Like, yeah, my notepad is just here. So this is, this is them. There's like three clipboards of stuff of different flavor notes and different things. Um, and that's just barrel content. And then I also have a notebook of whenever I'm doing my day-to-day, -day, I take notes of how much of this I top in, just so I've got it written everywhere twice. Um, so it is written down, but I can never produce the same beer again because my barrels are never, I never have barrel 27 again. Um, once I've pulled 150 liters out of it, it's going to taste different. I'm going to pitch in another beer that, um, so originally 20, so 27 sitting right behind the camera, it's a 500 punchin'. Um, and if I pulled 150 liters out of it, the base beer that went in that was probably not brewed by me. It was one of the first contracted ones. And then I've now been topping it up with the beer that I make. And so you've got that kind of seasonality of ingredient that I can also never produce the same beer again because the grain, like Voyager is trying to replicate the same pills mold that they do, but it's never going to be the same. So I try to based on flavor profile and I have a pretty big library of our past releases that if I'm going to try and do a basil and blueberry beer again, I will drink that beer. I'll reference my notes. I will then blend it. I will then taste it over time. And then I will drink a second beer to compare with that first. Um, so I, I can see how it's progressing to the original, but I can never produce it again. It's a fascinating, it was a great question, Mark, first of all. And a yeah. fascinating answer because it must be such a weird thing when so much of the beer industry in the macro sense is all about just perfect replication. 
Um, yeah, yeah. That's like that was my background of brewing in clean beers. Um, and then when I worked at Molly Rose, there's a, like a little bit more scope. And then here it's just like blending is a heavy component of what I do. Every beer is blended, even the beer de coupage, golds, reds, uh, they're all blended. I never, uh, actually I won't say never, but I rarely release a single barrel as a release. That's what makes these beers so fascinating and diverse. So thank you for sharing them with us tonight. We're going to move over into some audience questions and answers. Jacob Jackson, would you oh, like thanks, to... Thanks, David. Unmute? Yep. Uh, you can hear me okay? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so th thank you, uh, Joshua, for the, the beers. I've been really enjoying them. And uh, it, um, it makes me think about some other breweries in Melbourne covering similar territory and I was wondering with Future Mountain do you see them as a competitor or a potential collaborator because you know you guys obviously love love the same things in terms of wild ferments and blending um sorry if this is a bit of a curly question for you too but oh it's all good like um mainly collaborator like this this beer is so weird and wonderful that we need everyone that make it to be friends so that we can really push it together and talk about it together um like we see most of us i don't leave these four walls other than to do deliveries that often which is why blobfish is kind of cool to be able to go out and see but like i'm always talking molly rose with nick um yeah he's a, a a great brewer and definitely a big influence on what i do and whenever i am having like troubles if chelsea can't coax me out of it i just talk to nick and nick's like it's, it's it'll be fine mate um, but yeah, then Casey Sabramosa is also there. So Bonehead is super close to me. And we talk a lot about beers and what we're making. And we haven't done a collab yet with another brewery. So I've, made, I've made a lot of like small batch beers. They've gone into particular restaurants. I don't oh, think oh, I've made... Hold on. No, here, here is, who, who have they gone... What have you done and who, who have they gone into? Who have you been really proud of to, to do like a product and a I like I love doing the beers with Igni. Igni is quirky as fuck. Yeah. And yum. Like holy yeah. crap. Aaron Aaron has a flavor palette that is insane and he's like equally doing weird things in the food brand like spectrum. Yeah. Like last time we we're on to our second beer and I'm going to go pick it up next week and um, package it up so that he can have it. Luckily I've done a lot more this time. Um, last time we only did a hundred liter barrel instead of a 200. So mm. we've doubled in size. Um, but yeah, last time I was down there, he gave me a, a blackened cherry, which I was like, Ooh, what have you done to blacken a cherry? But basically he's got a hot box at, I think it's 60 degrees. And he put a cherry in there and has held the cherry at 60 degrees. So just above um, like any spoilage bugs temp and he's held it there for i think it was four months when i tried it and it was like slow caramelized cherry that was just amazing you could tell it was a cherry but it was a different level of flavor that was like so intense but so amazing at the same time so yeah he at that point he encouraged me to get a hot box and just put a whole bunch of like raspberries and cherries and stuff in the hot box yet to do that but i would love to be able to make a a gold with a like four month aged cherry mm. in a hot box. That but, yeah, sounds his, amazing. A super fun. 
Did you guys ever, did anyone see the beer that I did with him the first time? Oh, what was that? Yeah. That was the weirdest beer. So he, they got heirloom plums that they then roasted. They put above, they, everything at Igni down in Geelong is cooked over open fire. So they put it in their flue above the fire and smoked these plums. And then once they were smoked, they also make their own cheese. So they put it on goat's way and did a lactic ferment of the smoked plums on goat's way. And then it went into a hundred liter whiskey barrel with some of our aged gold uh, uh, with pepper bush. So it was a gold fermented on smoked plum, goat lactic ferment and pepper bush. Now, I mean, can I ask a question? Given you set the bar yourself a little bit earlier on in the conversation, could you taste every element that was <laughs> being used there? Freaking amazing. Super weird. Goat is definitely quirky. Um, it was acidic. It was, it was goaty, but the goat component was like goat's cheese and it was sitting at about three seconds on the palate, but it disappeared insanely quickly. It was like this little glimpse that made you want to go back and be like, did I just taste like goat's cheese in this beer? And then it was smoky. So not crazy smoke. It was only a light smoke. So the guys down there didn't like, didn't run it for a whole week. So they gave it just a light smoke. I don't know what wood they were running. Um, and then the heirloom plums were just delicious by themselves. So there was like this dark, juicy, plummy component. And then the pepper bush was just this bright um, herbaceous in the background that sat and it did linger a little long, but it disappeared clean on the palate. And yeah, freaking amazing. But I did, it was a hundred liters. And because we heavily fruited it, I think I got like 20 or 30 bottles for myself at Black down for him to sit on his um on his menu but holy that, fuck so good that sounds the next, amazing the next one's a good iteration as well those goaty cheesy flavors to keep going back to wine some of my favorite sort of french wines have those sort of elements in them like that's sort of almost yeah almost exactly what i love to taste in a french sort of wine yeah, shout out, shout out to Aaron and Igni. If you if you ever get a chance to get down and dine there, it is a great experience. Um, and if you can't get in there, uh, um, yeah, hot chicken, uh, hot chicken project is also shit tons of fun. So do that too if you just for that fried chicken experience. Yeah, he's got the burger joint next door as well now. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All power to him because yeah, I've I, I've I've been a massive fan since for a long, long time of his of what he does, and it's just it's just amazing. He's an amazing dude. Like when was it? The start of COVID. He started a company where you buy a bottle of wine online, and he would pair a um, record to it, so you would yeah. get this wine delivered and a record, and it was just you meant to sit back, chill, and drink the wine. And he said it went so nuts that he just had to close it within like two weeks. Like he didn't have the time on top of all the other joints that he ran. <laughs> and I was like, that is a fucking sick idea. Like, yeah. Yeah. You're kind of given the mood to the wine, which, yeah, that's a great concept, which like, you gotta, you gotta think about all the elements of everything that you do. Like when I, when I brew a beer, I think about the color of it. I think about the smell. I think about what it's going to taste like on the palate and what it's going to taste at the end of the palate. Like, Lots of people think about a pale ale and they're like, yeah, you just got to smell it and taste it and that's it. But there's so many other elements that go into what you drink. Yeah. And and that got, got, and that recalls something that I, I remember the guys from Dollar Bill saying. It's like, 
they're, they're all about adding the whole experience into, into their beers. And, and, and sometimes it's a fun way, sometimes it's a serious way, but they've always got a, they've, the, but each one of their beers has a song. Like they're, yeah, yeah. They're, it recommends a song. Yeah, and they've got the little Spotify code on on most of their cans, and you can kind of look up what song they think. Yeah, I think I think the droid theory yeah. in the US was a bit the same that they paired it with a cigar and a song and some food and a nineteenth century Norwegian lithograph that you had to look at at the same time. <laughs> and then it was amazingly they wouldn't That's sell you the intense. bottle unless you sort of were willing to go through the whole experience. Yeah. yeah. Ed said that he couldn't be fucked writing the descriptions on the back of it, so he just wanted to give a song because that's easier. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah. Now, while we're talking about our friends uh, in a diverse way, shouting out to people, I want to shout out the fact that I went up to Masterson's Bar last night. Uh, I had a great time there in Mooney Ponds. Shout out to Pete, great host, and uh, Gillian, as ever. Both of you were fantastic. I had the dollar bill Lichtenhainer, and Jenna, you have a question about Lichtenhainers. See what I was doing there? It was that's segue of the night, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. So my question is: Would you ever consider doing a Lichtenhainer? Now I know that a lot of breweries out there at the moment are doing ones with golden, but would you consider doing one with red? Because all the malts in a red would line up with the smoke for a Lichtenhainer. Yeah, I've. I've never made a smoky beer myself. I've drunk a few and I've like, I had Ed's at Blobfish, but the souped up version and it was so yum, but like probably not in the short term. I don't think I have the balls yet to do it. <laughs> I've got so many other things that I want to play with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of on that realm. That's a good, it's not a, um, common style so I know a lot of breweries at the moment are still playing with it like I think last year in the Carwin Tasman collab Tallboy Moose did a Fajoa Lichtenhainer which was great yeah that's an interesting combo too Mm. yeah yeah Dan but Dan makes some sick beers like I love going there Mm. yeah you never know what you're gonna drink when you go there you just don't it's just like yeah yeah, a bir- instead of a birthday stout, they've done a birthday Eisenbach. I'm like, sick. <laughs> like, you haven't just done the same as everyone else in winter. You've gone for something like super boozy instead. Ah. It's like, that's fun. Yeah. Now, I'm going to throw to uh, one of the many Davids who comes and visits the Zoom room. David, if you're there, um, I think your question's a really nice way to round out the audience yeah. Q&A. Good on you. Thanks, David. Uh, David, thanks, David. Uh, Joshua, (laughs) thank you. Um, And I want to compliment you on the South Coast IPA, which I had before this session started. Beautiful beer. Um, I I live within walking distance of North Melbourne Railway Station. I'm I'm just planning my outing to jump on the train down to Williamstown. I'm interested in um, what you set up there, your opening hours to the public or whether you have functions. I haven't had a chance to check you out um, your website or online to understand, appreciate, I guess, uh, what facilities you have down there for people who would like to spend an afternoon or evening on your delicious beers or failing that um, 
what what uh, whether there are pubs that are an outlet for black arts. Um, I I want to spend. I'm retired. I want to spend an afternoon in the near future working my way through <coughs> working my way through your range. Good on you. Yeah, um, that one's kind of tough because it, it's. We are in Williamstown, and if you get the train, it's probably like a 25-minute walk. I've done it a few times, um, unless you Uber here. So we're pretty remote, and then we open so rarely. So the easiest way to know when we open is if you sign up to our email list, we kind of send it out on that. Um, Yeah, we kind of open only summer months. Um because it gets pretty cold here at nighttime and then it's only me and I'm only allowed to have 15 people. So previously we were like giving, doing ticketing for the 15 slots. Um, and then I lost my dishwasher because she got pregnant and um, wouldn't, didn't want me opening that much. And then now that the baby's here, it's even less. So it's like, I want to open more, but at the same time, it's a lot of work. Mm. It's a hassle. Okay, it's a hassle. But, it so, takes me two days to clean to get uh, everything so, ready. So number one, I should get on your email list. Yeah, get on the um, email list. The twenty-five minute walk there isn't a problem during the day, <laughs> and 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 after four or five hours enjoying your beers, the twenty-five minute walk back to the station isn't going to be a problem at all. Oh uh, yeah, even, sometimes I'm driven people back as well. well. <laughs> It might it might take fifty minutes to work to fifty minutes to walk the twenty five minute walk. Um, yeah. Do you have any? Uh, are there any pubs in uh, in sort of Metro Melbourne that are carrying you? Um, they're kind of few and far between, but the main one is, that we got recently is Molly Rose. So Nick is an absolute champion and could see that I don't open that much. So he's got you're giving us a permanent tap there. So oh. they've usually got three bottles and a keg. Um, it was a gold and it's being replaced by a red this week. It's going in tomorrow. And then he's got, uh, it's got six of my bottles at the moment. So like the table beer, he's not carrying beer equipage like the standard ones, but he's got the Pinot Gris and the Tennessee's and something that's a bit quirky, but definitely if you've got time to make it out here when we open next, like it'll be, yeah, I'm interested to see how many people we get out here next time. It always ends up because there's only 15 people that I just end up sitting at the table and drinking with you. And in the past, we've pulled out Cantillons because no one's heard of a Cantillon. And one girl was like, oh, my dad thought that um, beer couldn't be a whiskey and sipped on. So I was like, dude, I've got a beer that would fit that category. So I bought some West Leveren back from um, Belgium when I went over there. So we cracked the West Leveren for everyone that was in the room. So 15 of us were just smashing a couple of bottles of that and talking about why it's such a tasty beer. Well, I was wondering at the beginning of things whether I should suggest having a cool room trip out one day, but I reckon uh, Warren and I can come out and help do the cleaning beforehand if we can guarantee that only the 15 finest cool roomers can come and join in. Um, Sure. Well, uh, I was just going to say the same thing, David, that uh, we asked to improve. The socials uh, that we can follow you on and see Chelsea's fine work in that marketing. Yeah, it's all blackartsbeer.com. I like it when it's as simple as mm-hmm. that. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Nice um, the beers have been magnificent tonight, mate. Um, 
such fun flavours uh, and just hearing some of those hints of like the Pinot and some of those other ones that are available, uh, people should go and hunt them out wherever you are around the world, follow them on the social media, whether you're in Norway, whether you're in Israel or whether you're just down the road in Williamstown. Um, fantastic honour to have you guys on. And um, Joshua, hopefully you've enjoyed your time with us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's great talking to people about beers. Even if it's not my beer, I'm happy to talk beers all day. We're going to press stop on the recording, uh, but that just means that we're all going to sit around in the room and experience the rest of the delicious uh, beers that are in the tasting pack this month. Make sure you come and be part of the live events. Make sure you keep listening and subscribe to the podcasts. And uh, thank you for all of the support that you give us. I'm going to press stop right now.